0: You know, one of the things that fascinates me, I think, most about the Easter story, and I was rereading that again this week, is, is really the sudden change that the disciples experienced. If you guys remember the story, right? They were cowering in this locked room. They were freaking out. One minute they're defeated. The next minute they're dynamic. One minute they're, they're crushed. The next minute they're confident. One minute they're having a pity party. The next minute they're taking on the world. And, and if you remember the story, does anybody remember what made the difference in those disciples? It was Jesus, right? I love this in John 19, or John 20, verse 19, it says this. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he had said this, he showed him his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. It's almost like in the midst of the, their, their most agonizing moment of their life, they, I mean, just seeing so much over that previous week, they're, they're freaking out because they're afraid that they're going to be arrested at any moment. Jesus shows up. And in that moment, he reminds them I've got you, I'm with you, and I'm still doing my thing. And in that moment, it changed everything for those disciples. You can almost feel palatably the difference in the room fear to no fear agonizing misery to joy. He changed everything in that moment. And so in the midst of that kind of thing, I want to ask you a question just kind of start today with, and it's this. What is it that robs you most of your confidence? What is it that takes away your joy? What what is it that robs you of your confidence? I think it's a good question. If you start thinking about it, you're going to come up with at least three things, and there may be more of them, but the big three things when, when they do surveys on this kind of stuff is Fatigue causes us to lose our confidence, and failure causes us to lose our confidence, and fear does. And all three of those are things that you see in the disciples during that final week of Jesus' life. And so that's what I want to take a look at today, at least part in part. And then one of the first things as you go to that passion narrative, that Easter narrative, the first thing that you see is just fatigue. Notice it says in this verse, it says it has been, that it was late that Sunday. It had been a brutally tough week. They had Palm Sunday. Remember when Jesus healed Lazarus from the dead? Everybody was talking, everybody was talking about Jesus. They were talking about Lazarus. They were so excited. They were, getting, they were starting to think, is this the Messiah? And they were getting everybody thinking that maybe he was the Messiah. There was such a pandemonium that was, it was being created that they started throwing coats and, and palm branches down before Jesus as he started enter, entering into Jerusalem. People were going nuts. They were thinking he was going to be king. And so the disciples got caught up in that. Then they get into Jerusalem and there's the cleansing of the temple. Remember that big scene where he throws over tables and chairs, kind of makes, throws down the gauntlet and says, this is my dad's house. We don't treat my dad's house in this way. Almost like he was throwing down a political gauntlet in effort to become king. And they had the Lord's Supper that last time they spent with Jesus. Where I guess he shared some not-so-cryptic things in hindsight. Where he shared with them that he loves them. Where he shared with them all the things that were going to transpire. That was the last night they were going to see him. Then they had Gethsemane, where Judas, their buddy, showed up with a gang of soldiers and took Jesus into custody. They had the six trials, starting with the two mock trials that evening, where they kept ramrodding it through the court system all the way through the morning. Then they had the crucifixion, where they watched Jesus, their Savior, die. It was a tough week. They were worn out. And that worn outness is a big deal because the number one most common cause of discouragement known to man today is physical and emotional exhaustion. Things almost always look worse when you're tired. Vince Lombardi once said this, fatigue makes cowards of all of us. Cartoon I came across, psychologist is talking to his client. Did this feeling of being an insignificant, dominant pipsqueak, dominated pipsqueak with no self-confidence happen suddenly, or did it develop normally with marriage and parenthood? Simple reality is, right, is that when you get tired, you lose your confidence. In Psalm 119, verse 73, it says, God wants his loved ones to get their proper rest, and so sometimes... I just want to share this with you. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is go to sleep. I I don't know about you and your family, right? I'm just going to give you a window into ours. If I don't get sleep, I get grumpy. And if my spouse doesn't, my wife doesn't get food, she gets grumpy. But we just know that about each other, right? So when I start to get grumpy, you know what my wife says? Hey, honey, maybe you should go take a nap. You know, just, we got everything covered. Just go take a nap. You know, it would be good for everybody, you know. Sometimes the most spiritually, sometimes the most healthy thing that you can possibly do, do is just get some rest. There's another thing that shows, too, in this story. The second thing that you see here that robs them of their confidence is failure. These guys felt like a group of losers, and for good reason. In Matthew 26, 56, it says that all the disciples deserted Jesus and fled. They bailed on their best friend. They bailed on the one they, they called Savior and Lord. They bailed on him in his time of greatest need all in to save themselves. Now they're having a pity party. Peter was one of them, and he denied that he knew his Lord three different times. And on the last time, Jesus was looking right at him. One of their other buddies, Judas, committed suicide. Imagine the emotional baggage that comes with that, but it's worse than that. He committed suicide right after, by the way, betraying their other friend and Lord and Savior, Jesus, for 30 pieces of silver. Now they're second-guessing everything. What went wrong? Jesus was supposed to be the Messiah, but now he's dead. Why me? Who cares? What now? All these questions are swirling around in their heads. And so let me ask you, how do you deal with failure? How do you deal with things when it's not going the way that you want it to go? Somebody gave me one time a book called The Book of Failures, the official handbook of the not-so-terribly-good club of Great Britain. And when they printed the book, ironically, they forgot to print the first two pages of the book, so even his first printing was not all that successful, right? But, but the point of the book was this. If at first you don't succeed, you're normal. Welcome to the human race. Life is full of setbacks. Murphy was an optimist. Somebody once said, just about the time I get so I could meet the ends, somebody seems to move the ends. Fatigue is one of those things that just robs you of your confidence. Failure is one of the things that robs you of your confidence. And the last thing that robs you of your confidence is just plain fear. It's probably the greatest one, actually. It says here that the disciples met together, locked behind closed doors in fear of the Jewish leaders. They'd seen what happened to Jesus. They weren't all that excited, all too excited about what their prospects were. That's why they were locked behind closed doors, hoping that the Jews didn't find them. They'd already been identified as disciples. They they didn't know what was going to happen next. And maybe as a way to apply that to your life, have you ever played the what-if game? Right? What if I fail? What if I never get married? What if I get cancer? What if somebody recognizes me at Walmart? I mean, any of those kind of things, right? What if? And the what-if game is really a fear game, isn't it? It's where we imagine the worst, a few weeks ago, a buddy of mine got a piece of mail that had three little initials on it, I-R-S, and he started freaking out until he opened it up and found out it was just a form letter. Whew. Or have you ever been driving down the road and all of a sudden a police officer turns his car around, does a U-turn, and starts following you, and then he turns off. Whew. Right? Have you ever had a daughter come home from a late night at a date and she has this big grin on her face? Oh, that's no woo there. That's just bad, Right. <laughs> But the question is, what do you worry about the most? What do you worry about? You know, if you, they, they do lots of studies on this kind of stuff, and the greatest worry known to man is the fear of death. And ultimately, that's what the Easter story is all about, isn't it? But it's interesting, even in church, we don't like talking about death all that much. It's the last taboo. We've broken through a lot of taboos, it seems like, recently, but that's one of the last ones that still seems to exist. If you don't believe me, invite somebody home after church today, sit down to lunch and over coffee say, hey, let's talk about death and see what happens, right? See how quickly they leave, all those different kinds of things. Newsweek once ran an article entitled heaven and hell the eternal search for meaning and they did a survey and found that 77% of Americans believe that there is a heaven and 76% believe that they have a good or excellent chance of going there When it comes to hell only 58% believe that there's a hell and 6% think that they have a good or excellent chance at going there Now I don't want to talk about if those are correct odds or not probably not but the reality is We just don't like talking about death very much as evidence of that, here are some children that were asked to write sentences about, about what they believed about death and just how often right, they had had these powerful discussions with their parents. By some of the responses, you can tell these are 3rd, 4th, and 5th graders. Gilda, age 8. When you die, they put you in a box and bury you in the ground because you don't look so good. Stephanie, age 9. Doctors help you so that you won't die until you pay their bill. <laughs> Marsha, age 9. When you die, you don't have to do homework in heaven unless your teacher's there too. <laughs> and Raymond, age 10, a good doctor can help you so that you won't die. A bad doctor sends you to heaven. And you know what? I'm glad you've been chuckling along the way. Because there's no place where there should be more laughter than in the church. I mean, seriously, we have everything to celebrate here. We have everything But even in the church, we don't often like talking about death. We're afraid of it. Guy walks up to another guy in the street and says, do you want to go to heaven? The guy says, no, you don't want to go to heaven when you die? Oh, I thought you were taking a group right now, right? I mean, (laughs) but the author of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 2 verse 15. He says that Jesus came to earth to set you free from the fear of death. Isn't that interesting? Our greatest fear, Jesus came to this earth to set you free from the fear of death. And I'm going to share with you just a a truth. I'm not afraid of death. I'm not at all. I'm not afraid of dying. I I know where I'm going. I I know the guy upstairs, right? We're friends. Actually, I know a ton of people up there. It's going to be a blast when I get there. I'm going to be able to say hi to everybody. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be a party. But I think what we get concerned about and why people fear it so much and why they don't like to talk about it is so often we just fear the unknown with it, right? But Jesus comes to us today and God shares with us today that we just don't need to be afraid. We don't have to be all concerned about it because God's got us. And you can know that God, that he, that's the reason he sent us Jesus. And that's part of the reason we come to church, isn't it? To remind us that we don't have to be afraid of death. That whether it's in the midst of our anxieties or our stresses or our worries about life or whether it's even looking at the greatest worry of all, death, that God's got us even still. So i ask again, what causes you to lose your confidence? And it's the same things, isn't it? It's fatigue, it's failure, it's fear, it's those things that get our attention off of Jesus. But maybe the bigger question this morning is really this. Kind of get that all those things are the things that cause us to lose confidence. Because we've all been there. We've all experienced these things. But I think what we crave to know is what builds our confidence back up. What gives us confidence back? And God gives us two powerful things in his word that I want you to think about this morning. And the first one is this, God's presence. God's presence gives us the power to start over. See, there's two things that change the disciples' lives. In verse 20, it says, Jesus came and stood among them, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord because they were reminded that he's still there. In Acts four thirteen, it says, "When the council saw the boldness of Peter and John, and could see that they were ordinary men, they were amazed and realized what Jesus, what being with Jesus, had done for them." Now, now these guys weren't PhDs; they were just normal, common, ordinary people, most of them. But they were incredibly bold. Before the resurrection, what happened? They were cowering in a room, hiding behind locked doors. After Jesus showed up, what did they do? They're back on the streets a few days later taking on their enemy, taking on their opposition with seemingly no fear. What happened? They'd been with Jesus. They'd been reminded that he's still doing his thing. And it wasn't just merely knowing that he rose from the dead, which, by the way, is big enough, but it was being with him. It was having a relationship with him. It is understanding that he's got you. And that's really the secret of confidence. Because I believe not having confidence is truly a spiritual issue. There's a lot of ideas about there, kind of phony baloney advice on how to build up your confidence. The problem is it just doesn't work because it's a spiritual issue. And what God's presence does is it encourages you to get up and to try again. And it begins by getting in tune with God, doesn't it? By hearing his voice, by being re-reminded. You know what we're great at? We're great forgetters We are awesome forgetters. We forget God's love all the time. We forget that we're forgiven all the time. We forget that he's there all the time. We forget that he's able all the time. And we start freaking out and worrying in our life. His presence, his word, his time spent with him reminds us that he's there all the time. The Bible says reverence for the Lord gives confidence and security to a man and his family. Nehemiah, and if you remember that story, everything went wrong. But he says at this one point, God is still with us, so let us start rebuilding. He gives us the strength to get up and go again my buddy shared a story with me one time he was, when he was little he was building this desk kind of thing and he kind of put it together and he says I have no ability to do this and so it was kind of creaky and then I, I sanded it down and did it wrong and I polished it and it looked just horrible so I ended up throwing it away I was so, so kind of embarrassed by it and it kind of ruined this beautiful piece of redwood he said next day his dad came and he says you know what son I got another piece of wood out in the back why don't we go get that and this time it's okay I'd love to help you out He says, do you think that changed my tune, my attitude, my my, my spirit? Absolutely. Why? Because dad was going to help me. And he did. And it was awesome. And I think that's what God wants to share with you today, that he wants to help you with your life. It's not just dying and rising so that you can be in heaven. It's helping you with every step that you take as you journey through this life. And life is hard. It brings its complexities with it. There's great times, and we love those times where everything's going well, but there's way too many where we just struggle. God says, you've ruined your life. Okay. Let's try again, and this time, if you're okay, I'd love to help you out. I'd love to be more part of it. Let's see what God can do. Let's see what we can do together. And God wants to help you. In fact, that's the good news because God specializes, right, in new beginnings, that's what Jesus is all about, starting over. He wants to do something fresh in your life. He wants to give you new beginnings in your life. And it's never too late to start over. Failure is never final unless you quit. I tell that to my girls all the time. It's never final unless you quit. Your job isn't, is, is never a failure unless you quit your job. Or I guess you're fired, right? But either way, unless you quit. Your marriage is never a failure unless you quit. Nothing in life is a failure unless you give up. So don't give up. And God gives us the strength to do that. So God says, forget about the past and focus on the future. Your past is past. It's water under the bridge. You can't take it back. Every one of us has skeletons in the closet that we wish just weren't there. And we say, I wish, or what if, if only, I wish I could change that. But God speaks into all that noise, this good news, and he says this. When Jesus came back to life, he shows up with his disciples, and his very presence gave them the energy to do what? To start over again. They went from the bottom of the pile to now billions of people all the way around this globe believe in Jesus because of 11 men. Obviously, something happened, and what happened gave them the power to start over, to change their course in life. There's another truth I want to give you this morning, and it's this. God's power gives me the confidence to keep going. So after you start over in the right direction, God's power, right, you need God's power to continue on. It's that perseverance part. Everybody wants power today. Everybody wants perseverance. There's all sorts of books written on it. I was noticing some books on power, how to dress for power, how to eat for power, how to shower for power. <laughs> I'm just guessing on that one. But anyway, <laughs> Ephesians 1.20 says this, how tremendous is the power available to us who believe in God. That power is the same divine energy which was demonstrated in Christ when he was raised from the dead. He's saying two things in this verse. One, the resurrection which billions of Christians celebrate every Sunday all the way around the world, demonstrate how powerful God is. Jesus Christ resurrected himself from the dead. That's amazing. The second thing, that same power is available to you today. Because if God can raise Jesus from the dead, seriously, he can handle anything that you give him. There is nothing in your life that is impossible for God. In the evening service, we're going through Exodus, and one of the things that God says to Moses, is my arm too short? In other words, are you saying there's something I can't do? Well, let me show you that there's nothing that's impossible for your God. But you say, Pastor, you don't know my finances. I'd say you're probably right, but God does. You say you don't know about my marriage and how close it is to divorce. You don't know about my work problem. You don't know about my health problem. And maybe you're right, but God does. And there's nothing impossible for our God. In fact, he specializes in hopeless cases. You know, each one of you came here today for some different reasons, right? Some of you came out of habit. Some of you came out of tradition. Some of you came for the music. Some of you were just invited by a friend who cares, and I think that's so cool. It doesn't really matter why you think you came here today. God brought you here today so he could share this. You matter to him. The God of the universe says, you matter. I love you, and you matter to get you to the place where you realize that this life, there's just more to it than making money and retiring and dying. There's a lot more to life. And God brought you here this morning so that he could share with you that you matter to him, that you were meant to be loved by God and to love him back. That's where it starts. And I'm not talking about religion here, right? I'm talking about a relationship with God. When you come into contact with the one who actually made you, that's where you find your wholeness. That's where you find your confidence. That's where you find your peace. That's where you find your comfort. That's where you find your hope. Is found in the one who says, I've got you. And when you begin to understand that, that he put you on this earth, not just to take up space, to breathe, to grow old and leave everything to your kids, but that he created you because he loves you. And that because he loves you, he gives you an amazing purpose for your life. God, my prayer today is that you would go with a renewed confidence in the fact that Jesus is with you and has got you and loves you and that you serve him always with joy. And all God's people said, amen. Let us pray. Father, we want to thank you this morning for reminding us that you've got us. I think all too often we go through life and we just, we get caught up in the immediate. We get caught up in the problems. We get caught up in the difficulty. We get caught up in the frustration and we forget. Truth is, God, we're great forgetters. We forget about how much you love us. We forget about how much you care about the stuff that we're going through. We forget about the fact that you're walking each step with us. We forget about your power. We forget about your grace. We forget about, just forget about everything, Lord. And so our prayer today is that you'd help us re-remember just how special we are in your sight. That you'd help us re-remember that you've got us. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.